0: Grateful that you're joining us today.
1: And speaking of being grateful, this weekend is Thanksgiving in Canada. So happy Thanksgiving. We are truly grateful and appreciative for our listeners who embark on this wild ride of podcasting with us.
0: Thanks for coming along.
1: Thanksgiving this year, and as last year as well, has been a little bit different with all the different COVID restrictions and stuff.
0: So It is. And we're just heading into heavier COVID restrictions.
1: Yeah, we're into our fourth
0: wave and more restrictions, more lockdowns, just in time for Thanksgiving Thanksgiving dinner but I think we'll still be able to get together with some family. And my favorite thing about Thanksgiving is the food. So much food. It's awesome. Well, and Christmas is like the food, but there's also that thing of the presents and did I get the person the right thing? And are they going to like it? And Thanksgiving is just the food and hanging out. So we love to play games and yeah, it's definitely the food. Us too.
1: Four different kinds of pie. It's always my favorite. (laughs) Is pie your favorite dish? Yeah, probably.
0: Yeah. And Usually we stick to the traditional, like we always have apple and pumpkin and pecan pie, but then I love it when we do coconut cream pie, which is totally not
1: traditional. You get a little wild. (laughs) We sometimes will do banana cream pie. Oh, sweet. But pumpkin is my favorite. Pumpkin Mm -hmm. and lemon meringue are the ones that I like to make for Thanksgiving.
0: Nice. Mm -hmm. Do you ever do lemon without the meringue and do whipped cream on top instead? No, I've always done the meringue, but that sounds like it'd be delicious. It's delicious and it's way less
1: work. Yeah. Speaking of work, I decided to take a wedding cake order for Thanksgiving. (laughs) So it's going to be a busy weekend for me. I don't know why I do this sometimes, but yeah, I've got a nice wedding cake order to complete. We'll have dinner, but I'm really excited because my daughter who's in university will be able to come home and visit with us for Thanksgiving. So it'll be a quiet Thanksgiving, but there'll still be lots of food and games and fun to be had. And work. Yeah, (laughs) definitely work.
0: (laughs) Chris will be up till like three in the morning. It's when I do my best decorating work. For sure. But they're always amazing.
1: But I am sad because I will miss out on my... One of my favorite dishes is my sister-in-law makes this sweet potatoes. Well, I guess a sweet potato casserole it would be. And yeah. it is so good. It's like <sighs> pumpkin pie without the guilt.
0: Oh, yeah. and you can be like, oh, it's a vegetable.
1: <laughs> it is a vegetable. And she makes it so that... Because I have a lot of food allergies yeah. and the way that she makes it, I can eat as much as I want. So I eat lots when I'm there and I usually take a nice container home. So I'm going to be missing her
0: Aww. sweet potato
1: casserole this year.
0: And leftovers are the best. Totally the best. Yeah. Love yeah. the leftovers
1: i haven't decided though are you gonna do a turkey a ham um sometimes i do both
0: (laughs) it's both christy It's always
1: both both. (laughs) we have established this before haven't we it's always
0: both i always want both (laughs) yeah wait are we talking about all of our favorite food things because this case has something to do with poisoning of the food Oh, I'm not telling. Oh, you're going to have to wait. Whenever you start your intros, I'm always like super suspicious of like, okay, what questions are are you asking? Why is she
1: talking about food? (laughs) This has got to be about poisoning. Melissa is my little detective, (laughs) but she always wants to jump right to the end, (laughs) right when I'm at the beginning. So she's going to have to wait. Are you that
0: person that jumps to the end of the book? never no
1: no i sometimes will flip through a little bit just to like kind of see little bits but then i'm like no wait, i don't want to spoil it so no do you
0: do you uh, read the I, end of your book first i don't read the end but sometimes i do skip pages to be like oh this is just boring like scenery stuff <laughs> no. i don't want to ruin the story it doesn't ruin the story it just gets to the action Yeah, but if it's that boring, then just change your book. No, I can't do that.
1: Oh, really? No, I cannot change the book.
0: Yeah, I have to finish it. But I do like the action more. So Action Jackson, let's go.
1: (laughs) Well, then I have a few books for you. (laughs) Okay. However, even though we love Thanksgiving and we're looking forward to our Thanksgiving meals, if you happen to be looking for a reason to skip out on your family dinner this year, today's case just might give you all the excuse you need. But hopefully you won't need it.
0: Hopefully not.
1: So we will be discussing a Thanksgiving Day murder that happened in Florida in 2009. And surprisingly, there were more than one case to choose from when I started searching for a holiday murder to discuss. There are a few reasons that I chose this case, but there is one reason in particular that sealed the deal for me in choosing this one. And I'll let you know that reason when we come to it in the case. It's, It's super fascinating to me. And it is something that I have often wondered about.
0: You always do this. And what a is it?
1: Cliffhanger. You can't jump to the end of the story, <laughs> Melissa. You're going to have to take the whole ride with me. Okay. What are you going to tell us? Okay. So the person we will be digging deep dirt up on today is Paul Michael Marriage. Paul was born in 1974 to parents Carol and Michael Marriage. And I couldn't find the exact date of his birth, but just that it was in 1974. He grew up and lived with his family in Miami, Florida, or it might have been just right outside of Miami. Paul had an older brother and two younger twin sisters, Lisa and Carla. Paul was remarkably a good student at Gulliver Preparatory Academy in Miami, which was a prominent school that was definitely not for the lower or middle class. Oh, I was just
0: going to ask that. Are they affluential? Very, extremely. Yeah.
1: yeah, very well off. He was a talented athlete playing varsity football, baseball, and soccer. He was the football kicker, and therefore he had to practice on his own a lot, It was a specialty thing, I guess. I don't know a lot about football, but is that a thing where the kicker has to
0: practice on his own? They're not really in a lot of the plays, right?
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: So they don't practice with the rest of the team. They're just practicing their kicks. Right. So he had special training and stuff just
1: for him for doing that.
0: But it's laces out. (laughs) Ace Ventura, pet detective? (laughs) No.
1: What? (laughs) What? I don't like jim carrey sorry i said it i don't my heart is hurt now he's not my favorite that's Ace not Pet Detective. laces out oh pet detective yeah no yeah. i don't think i even ever saw that oh, one yeah. that's the
0: whole i think the yeah. breakdown of the case is laces out you have to watch it now chrisy nah. has got some research <laughs> Nah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think the kicker most of the time will practice on their own.
1: So that's what I read that he had special training on his own for doing that, but he was really good at it. He was very talented as an athlete. He also led the French honor society at his school and he was well liked by his classmates. They recalled that he was quote, well liked, but not popular.
0: So this isn't our typical kind of background for one of our murder cases, because usually they're like ostracized or made fun of, bullied, and this doesn't seem to be the case with him at all.
1: No, he was not bullied. That is usually a common trait that we see happening. But no, he wasn't. He did well, Mm -hmm. and he was well-liked. And I think that's kind of a blanket statement for most of us, isn't it? Well-liked,
0: but not popular.
1: (laughs) (laughs) which seems pretty average to yeah me. that
0: gets some of my high school experience right?
1: yeah mine too i think i'm now i'm gonna
0: have like all my old high school
1: friends <laughs> no christy you weren't well liked. that's right we thought you, you were weren't popular we
0: just tolerated you <laughs> you little weirdo <laughs> that weirdo could sum up my high school experience
1: too <laughs> yeah we're all a little weird in our own ways and that's okay yeah. He did graduate third in his class, so he was pretty smart too. People described him as driven, confident, fun, mature, quiet, handsome, and fit. Everybody said that he had a promising future. Mm -hmm. His football coach said later that he thought Paul would be running a company or a business one day. Paul had aspired to go to University of Miami to become a doctor. A classmate quoted saying, quote, It seemed like he just had everything going for him while other people are still just fuddling around.
0: And I kind of love that word, fuddling, (laughs) because
1: don't we all just kind of fuddle
0: around sometimes trying to figure it out? Yeah, and watch the other people that have got it figured out.
1: But sometimes what looks like is figured out on the outside is not actually figured out on the inside, which is today's
0: case. (laughs) So this guy would be a sociopath, and psychopath is the guy that can't make friends. There we go. You learn something new every
1: day. Paul would repeatedly debate with his classmates if it was possible for anyone to believe every single word in the Bible. Paul didn't think so. And this was a common thing that he would bring up to argue with people.
0: So his preparatory school, was it a Catholic or a religious school? Not that I'm aware of. It might have been. I don't know too many teenagers that are debating the Bible in high school.
1: Yeah. However, with all of this being said, things in Paul's life weren't always a bed of roses. At age 13, Paul got into an argument with his family and shockingly pulled out a gun and aimed it at them. Oh. Yeah. No one had even known that he had a gun... It was never fired and everybody was okay, but this understandably terrified and shook up his family members.
0: Yeah. If he just shows up with a gun, like where did a 13 year old get a gun? They had no idea that he'd even had it. Oh, that is freaky.
1: But he comes from a very well off family. He's got money, you know, so he would have had the funds.
0: He would have had the funds, but still, how do you get a gun? I don't know. I guess if there's a will, there's a way. That would have been shocking. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: In Paul's senior yearbook, he wrote an entire page letter to all 32 members of his family, which was unusual. It was an entire page. He expressed his love to all of them. To his siblings, he said, quote, I love you now and will forever. I've been so lucky to be blessed with having twin sisters and a protective older brother. Aww. Mm-hmm. To his parents, he wrote, quote, thank you for all you have given me.
0: Was it's- he suicidal? are these like goodbye notes
1: things right after he graduates like around age 19 things really start to take a downward spiral for him so I feel like this is his last kind of high note before everything changes
0: he was just reminiscing after finishing school feeling a little bit he was
1: genuinely was close with his family and it said all 32 members so that must have included you know aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody so it must have been a close-knit family His parents were well off, like I said, and they paid for everything he could possibly need, and they continued to do so well into his adulthood. He didn't have to want for anything.
0: That'd be awesome. Right? I want that. (laughs) (laughs) Some days, I have a princess complex (laughs) where I would enjoy everything just done for me as well.
1: (laughs) And I'm like, hmm, sugar daddy?
0: (laughs) That's like two ends of the spectrum. You're like, hmm, sugar daddy? And I'm like, let me be a princess. (laughs) sorry. I come up short again. Oh, no, it's all good. I'm actually oh, surprised mean- that I didn't come up with <laughs> the sugar daddy one. That seems so much easier. That's what I meant. I want to be a princess. Yes. <laughs> a sugar prince. That's what we need. Oh.
1: So like I said, by the time he turned 19, things started to take a turn. Paul's mother said that when he was 19, he experienced a nervous breakdown, which some say he never actually recovered from.
0: It's a lot of pressure when you go off to college to know what you want to do. And people are constantly asking you about what future plans you have. Yeah.
1: It is hard to decide. I have a daughter that just graduated and Melissa has a son who's in grade 12. And it's hard for them at, you know, 17, 18 years old to figure out what do you want to do with your life? Mm -hmm. But he did have a plan. He was wanting to go to University of Miami and become a doctor. So he did have that part decided. He did, however, battle with depression and OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, and he had started to gain weight and to lose his hair. And a little side note here, he had actually been worried about losing his hair as a teenager, and so he used Rogaine in high school to try and prevent it from happening, but no dice.
0: Oh, no. Yeah.
1: And then with the depression and the OCD, he did start to gain weight and he had been super fit, super athletic.
0: Now, was this because of the side effect of his meds? Because unfortunately, that's usually a side effect of meds that treat OCD and depression.
1: It could have been, but he he had
0: stopped taking his meds. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. While at University of Miami, Paul was again an honor student until his depression and OCD worsened. And studies have shown, just like you were saying, that the stress from college can worsen pre-existing mental health conditions, which are triggered by stress and change. Mm-hmm. One of the court's psychologists said, quote, those different mental disorders can feed into violence. It starts with a slight, real or perceived, and that slight became resentment and that resentment became rage. That's unfortunate. Once he started expanding his thoughts on rage and death, his OCD would make it hard for him to stop thinking about it. It would continue to build, and he would fixate on it. He became an extreme germaphobe, and he would shower excessively, sometimes spending up to five hours just for one shower. Oh, wow. Sometimes he would shave over and over to help keep germs at bay. He would wear two pairs of underwear at the same time, and he never wore shorts. He wouldn't leave his legs exposed. Oh, What's the
0: idea with the two pairs of underwear? I don't know. Nothing getting in, nothing nothing get out. (laughs) I guess
1: so. (laughs) But it was part of his germaphobe OCD pattern. Yeah. And, you know, often that type of thing is an irrational thing. I deal with anxiety and a lot of the things that I'm anxious about are irrational. Yeah. But they're still real to me in the moment.
0: Well, and that's what makes it so much worse, especially when you actually understand that it's irrational. The part of your brain is telling you, this doesn't make any sense. You don't need to be fearful of this or you don't need to wear two pairs of underwear. But then it's just compulsive. You keep doing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can't control that part or it's really hard to. Paul became so worried about making correct decisions, and unsurprisingly, he couldn't hold down a job. As I had stated a little bit earlier, Paul had been prescribed medications for his conditions, but he stopped taking them, and it was reported that he even attempted to take his own life by gunfire. So he was going downhill
0: fast. And this was just a couple of years after he wrote all those nice letters to his family?
1: Yeah, because this started at 19.
0: It almost makes me think, though, that was something going on in high school that he wrote all those nice letters because that's not a usual thing for a teenage guy to do. So he did little
1: blurbs to everybody. Yeah. Like how I read out what he said to his siblings and his parents. It was just like little bits to everyone. He became obsessed with death and went to the extreme of threatening to kill his sisters oh people thought that he perhaps was jealous of them and was looking to blame someone for his challenges
0: so why his sisters
1: well they thought maybe he was jealous of them
0: because they were just super popular or because his parents liked them more i don't
1: know they were younger they would have probably still been in school didn't have as much stress they were twins they probably got attention from being twins yeah i don't know he was just looking for someone to blame
0: but not his older brother
1: very little is talked about his older brother so there's not much said about him When Paul was in his mid-twenties, he took out a restraining order on his sisters, and then his sister Carla took out a restraining order on him a year or two later. Both claimed that the other had threatened to kill them. She said he said that he would slit her throat and then kill himself, but both dropped the orders just a few weeks after filing them. So this was a far cry from his high school yearbook page devoted to his family. Yeah. To the point where they both took out restraining orders. Around the same time in 1998, the Miami-Dade County arrested Paul for a disorderly conduct and he was charged with a misdemeanor. But that's all I could find out about that.
0: So he had caused a
1: scene somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. Around that same time mm-hmm. that his sister took out the restraining order. Paul's brother-in-law later described him as fat, lazy, and a failure who never had a job or girlfriend and he just stayed home all day on his computer living in his parents' house. So what a change from his high school days, how he was described then. They described him as handsome and ambitious and fun and fit. Despite Paul's troubled condition, he had never escalated to actual violence towards others until that frightful Thanksgiving night. So he had threatened some things. He had tried violence on himself, but he had never hurt anyone else until this one night. There's evidence that the familicide that was about to take place was premeditated by Paul. And so a familicide means killing multiple family members in succession, which is basically the same as a family annihilation. It's just another way to say that. Yeah. So, but because of the evidence that they found later, they knew that this was actually premeditated. It wasn't a angry fly off the cuff rage. Right. It was definitely planned. So weeks before Thanksgiving in 2009, Paul spent over $2,000 purchasing guns and ammunition. He went to two different Broward County gun shops to get what he needed. He purchased four guns and said he was going to use them for hunting. He asked for a scope that would attach to a bolt-action Remington 700 rifle. He purchased a cover for his car, packed up his clothes, and took out upwards of $12,000 cash from the bank. So he was clearly planning to run.
0: Wow, bolt action is a good choice. That's my favorite kind. A bolt action? Yeah. What's a bolt action? Was that even? A that's thing? where you get to click it. Oh, that's like it goes. Sh- sh- well, oh. no, that's a different thing. Oh. but the bolt action is like it's got a little handle thing, and you go click click. Oh, it's fun. My
1: dad and my brother would be so disappointed in me. <laughs> they're avid hunters, and my nephews,
0: and I'm like, what's a bolt action? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So he purchased all these things and then, so clearly he was running.
1: Yeah. He purchased these four guns, a scope, ammunition. He got a cover for his car. He packed up his clothes What's and he co- took out, you know, those big cloth covers that you can put over your car. Like if you have like a really fancy one. Right, so for if you're going to park it and hide it. Yeah. So people couldn't see the color of it or the make or model, that type of thing.
0: Not when you're driving though.
1: No. <laughs> Unless he wants to cut little people eyeballs out of it.
0: This won't look suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> see driving looking through the little people He's He's abnormal. act normal act <laughs> <laughs> he literally had that day when you said cover for his car i was thinking like my son loves monster trucks and so he has skins that he can switch out <laughs> no i had all girls i thought so not know he... the
1: language you were speaking oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when he said oh he had a cover for his car i'm thinking Oh, man, he's going to change the skin on his car. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) sounded like he had the funds, though, to do a whole new skin. Or just get a new car. Yeah, that's true. That would be way easier.
1: Can you change the... I'm really uncomfortable with the word skin on the car. Can you change the skin? Wouldn't wouldn't that just be a paint job?
0: No. Well, like on monster trucks, they just have... Like, it's a whole separate thing. Yeah, but
1: if you're driving a Toyota, can you just, like, (laughs) grab a new thing to click on? So you're thinking like Polly Pocket, like click on clothes, (laughs) like, you know, the Polly Pocket, that's, this is my language. When Polly Pocket had the little clothes that just like click on.
0: No, well, you can get those for Hot Wheels. You just click on a different (laughs) skin. Maybe in Hot Wheels land. That's
1: where I live. (laughs) You live in a totally different (laughs) land. But that's why I love you. And why I'm thankful for you on this Thanksgiving weekend. (laughs) Okay. Now, are you ready for the nitty
0: gritty part? Okay. Let's do it. All right. We must. All right. Well, that's what we're here for. bring on the details baby okay so in
1: 2009 thanksgiving day landed on thursday november 26th in the usa which is a national holiday dedicated to giving thanks for the year's harvest and all the other blessings in one's life
0: and over a month late
1: yeah <laughs> In, in Canada, t- yeah. we we do it in October. <laughs> Actually, Melissa was Googling before we started and different areas of the world have Thanksgiving totally different times.
0: Yeah. But I think it has to do with when harvest season is, or at least that's why I've always thought there was the difference between Canada and the U.S. Because in Canada, we're more of a northern climate and our harvest season happens earlier and in the U.S. it's later. So maybe that's why.
1: Oh, I could totally see that being yeah. the reason. So wherever you are, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes your turn. <laughs> So most people celebrate by joining together with friends and family for a large feast. And the marriage family was no exception. However, this day of giving thanks would turn into a real-life nightmare for all involved. Paul's family had been invited to his cousins, Muriel, and her husband, Jim Sitton's house in Jupiter, Florida, which is about 55 miles north of Miami. Wait, Eight. what's that in kilometers?
0: It's the first time I didn't put it into kilometers. I know. That's I, what I, I always do. Yeah, Sorry. So. I have to visualize it in my head about how far is that away yeah. and when you say 55 miles. So, so 55 no miles
1: or 88 kilometers? 88 kilometers. North of Miami where they lived. Okay. Days before Thanksgiving, Paul had been asking his parents about what their plans were, repeatedly asking them what time they would be at his cousin's house, but he never actually committed to going. The Sittons had invited Muriel's parents, 76-year-old Ramond and Dr. Antoine Joseph, Carol and Michael Marriage, Paul's parents, Paul's sister Carol Marriage, and his other sister Lisa Knight, who was pregnant with her first child, and Lisa's husband, Patrick Knight. Muriel and Jim's six-year-old daughter Michaela would also be there. So his parents, cousin and her husband and child, his twin sisters, and one of the sister's husbands, and his cousin's parents, which would be his aunt and uncle. There were 16 guests in total, but it was unreported who the others were. Paul was actually not invited. I read that he had become estranged from them and hadn't seen that part of his family in about 13 years.
0: So was it like he was not invited, don't bother coming, or is it not invited, uh, we just didn't even mention it to you because we didn't think you were going to show up?
1: Yeah, I think that. They didn't specifically say Paul's not invited, but just they hadn't seen him in 13 years. Why would they think of inviting Paul? Why would Paul want to come type of a thing? Everyone was excited and looking forward to their meal and spending time together. The Sitton's six-year-old daughter, Michaela, had made cards about all the things she was thankful for, and they had strung them around the house. Michaela put on a performance singing and dancing of her part in the Nutcracker play that she would be performing in the next day.
0: Oh, that's what our kids do when they were little, that's what they would do too is they would put on little skits and plays for us.
1: I know I remember doing that as a little kid, even. yeah, but it was like her little dress rehearsal got dressed up in her costume and put on this little song and dance like her part of the Nutcracker. The family also sat by the piano singing songs, so it was picture perfect. Paul's parents didn't mention to their niece or her husband that Paul was asking about coming. While at the Sittens' house, Paul called his parents to say that he was on his way. Paul's mother turned to her daughter, Lisa, and said, quote, I hope he doesn't come and kill us all tonight.
0: What? Mm-hmm.
1: And Lisa responded, quote, Mom, it came to my mind. But don't say that to dad because dad would get upset that we had such ideas.
0: Oh, isn't no. that chilling? What was going on in their relationship before that? That that's their first reaction is that oh, I hope he's not coming to kill us, right? Was or, that, or were they that, joking? Was that a or- yeah,
1: you know that they didn't listen to, but that was the mom just said like oh, I have a sinister thought. What if he's coming here to kill us all? Because I think he was so estranged from everybody, it was unusual for him to want to come to the dinner.
0: But he was living in his parents' house, so he wasn't super estranged from them.
1: But he hadn't seen all the other family in thirteen years,
0: right? But his mom is saying this about him. His mom. So what's been going on in their house behind closed doors that that's her first thought about her child. Right. That's pretty freaky.
1: Yeah. And then the sister to say, I had that thought too, but
0: don't tell dad. I wonder if that had been like a thing where they had thought that before and brought it up with their dad.
1: Well, and the kids had been putting restraining orders out on each other and threatening each other. And so the dad was probably like, enough of it. Yeah. Get along. Putting that fatherly foot down, you know? So despite checking multiple times with his parents about the time dinner started, Paul showed up an hour and a half late. He sat at the table for three hours, but did not eat anything and did not join in on the singing or other festivities it oh, was likely it was awkward, but I thought he was likely plotting the entire time. He probably couldn't even eat because in his brain, probably just going over it over and over
0: and over. Oh, scoping out the whole house where everybody was, where you would exit. Should from? I do
1: it now? Should I wait till this? Oh, you know, trying to make these decisions. That's what my thought is, and I don't know for sure. Only Paul can say what was in his mind, but yeah. that would be my thought. Paul eventually, near the end of the night, he went outside and got a gun from his car. 20 minutes later, he nonchalantly walked back into the house, raised his gun, and without saying anything, he just began shooting. He shot both of his 33-year-old sisters, Lisa and Carla, killing them both. Lisa's unborn child also perished. He really had it out for them. He did. When Lisa's husband rushed to help, Paul shot him in the stomach. He was able to remain conscious long enough to witness the rest of Paul's actions. Oh my goodness. Paul turned his gun to his aunt Ramond and shot her in the shoulder. Ramond's husband, who was a doctor, rushed to her to try and stop the bleeding. Paul walked up to his aunt and pressed his gun against her chest and fired again. This time the bullet went through her sternum and heart, killing her. Then Paul aimed his gun towards his uncle and shot twice, but the gun had jammed after shooting his aunt, ultimately sparing his uncle's life.
0: Oh, that'd be like Russian roulette. Oh, totally. Facing the barrel of the gun and then having it yeah. go off not once, but twice. Yeah. The Ooh. reports
1: I read said the uncle had rushed to his wife. He was a doctor to try and stop the bleeding. And then when Paul came over there, he was just cowered by his wife, still trying to stop the bleeding. Oh. He kills her. And then you can imagine the terror and the fear. No. And he aims it at him. And
0: and his uncle wasn't young at the time. No, they, they, they were like 76. Give him, yeah, didn't give him a heart attack. No.
1: So this ultimately spared his uncle's life. So then Paul had to reload his gun. So while reloading the gun, Paul turned to his father and said, and this is the only thing he says the whole time during the attack, he said, quote, I've been waiting 20 years to do this.
0: What? So sorry, remind me again how old he is at this time. So he's 35 at this time. So this means that he was planning this, like thinking about this kind of thing before he got out of high school before he wrote those letters.
1: Definitely. Well, at age 13, he had pulled that gun on his family.
0: Oh, so this wasn't
1: a brand new thought.
0: No. The duplicity of it all.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. He must have had a real internal struggle too. And I think that's why he sat there for three hours and then he just got up without saying anything. He was gone for 20 minutes in his car. He comes back, doesn't say a word to anybody, just starts ruthlessly shooting. Wow. And then says this to his dad. After killing his twin sisters and his aunt and injuring his brother-in-law with a now freshly loaded gun, Paul headed towards Michaela's room. No. Michaela was his cousin's six-year-old daughter who had been performing for them earlier in the evening. She was tucked into bed fast asleep in her little Tinkerbell pajamas. Paul had never met her before the celebratory day. Paul shot young Michaela in her back and hip. He started to walk away from her, but then he paused and turned back around and re-entered her room, shooting her in the head to make sure she would not survive.
0: Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. That's a whole bunch of rage right there. Right? Total dirtbag. Against somebody that he doesn't even know and a child? Mm -hmm.
1: Wow. At some point, a 52-year-old man, Clifford Gabara, was also grazed by a bullet, resulting in minor injury. So he was one of the other people that Mm -hmm. were there. One of those 16. And I don't know if he was caught in the crossfires or if he actually was shot at. After killing Michaela, dirtbag Paul calmly walked out of the house and drove off in his royal blue 2007 Toyota Camry. So he spared his dad then? Yeah, he just said that to his father. He spared his parents. And later we'll talk about why. The theories on why he spared them. But basically more of it wanting to be a punishment. Mm. Wanted them to suffer. And if they were dead, they weren't going to
0: suffer. I was going to say that makes sense. But it it, it doesn't make sense. But I understand. In his mind thought. Yeah. Why he would choose that. And his older brother isn't at the dinner. No, it didn't sound like it.
1: Okay. His older brother isn't mentioned much at all. So I don't know how much. Maybe he was quite a bit older. Maybe he was moved
0: away. But he definitely doesn't like his sisters. For them to be the first victims.
1: Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about that. His motive in that. But yeah, he was there to... Kill his sisters Crazy. and punish his parents, basically.
0: And we're always constantly at our kids to get along. Your siblings are your best friends. I like know. they're going to be there around you forever. And so they yeah. matter most over all your friends. Right. Your siblings are the ones that are going to stand up for you and stick up for you. Yep.
1: I remember my mom saying to us kids, your friends will come and go, but your family will stay the same. Yeah. Oh, Family annihilations are so tragic. The first 911 call was placed by a neighbor just after 10 p.m., Multiple calls would continue to come in, and you can listen to some of these calls online, but they are very terrifying to listen to. Patrick, Lisa's husband, was rushed to the hospital in critical condition and would be put into a medically induced coma for the next following few months. Lisa, her unborn child, Carla, Ramond, and Michaela were all found deceased. The Red Cross disaster team provided a place for the surviving family members to stay for the rest of the weekend while police investigated. Jim Sitton, Michaela's father, so Paul's cousin-in-law, had worked at a local television station, WPTV, for years as a videographer. So this case was heavily covered in the media. This made me think of our discussion last week in the John Crawford case about what makes a case get news coverage over others.
0: Oh, so true, right? So it's about maybe who you know or what connections you have?
1: Well, they talked about how Jim was a, you know, beloved member of their team. You know, his daughter was killed. And so a lot of the news seems to be Jim being interviewed a lot. So I'm assuming because of his network ties, but it did make it a little challenging in researching this case because there was so much just news clip after news clip after news clip and covering through the whole thing where sometimes the facts aren't figured out yet.
0: Yes. That's Mm. always difficult when we research the cases. And that's what I said last week. We look at the news clips for kind of little snippets, but that's not the meat of where we do our investigation. And so it can be really boggling when there's so many news clips.
1: Definitely. And there was, there was all these news clips, but then I couldn't even find out Paul's date of birth. Oh,
0: crazy. And so did he have something against women too?
1: No, that did point out to me too, that all the women were the ones that were murdered, but he had shot his brother-in-law. Right. He had shot Patrick and he had tried to shoot his uncle. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I don't right. think so, but it just happened to be that all the ones that perished were with him. Were yeah. So later, Jim said that there was no red flags or warning that Paul was about to go on a rampage. He said he had this whole thing pre planned. His goal was to shoot his sisters and punish his parents. And we'll hear a lot of quotes from Jim because okay. he was so heavily covered in the media. Right. He, because he worked for them and so on. For stuff. the network.
0: Yeah. So Jim is Michaela's father. It's his cousin-in-law. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he felt that it was because he was trying to punish his parents.
1: Yeah. That he had this whole thing pre-planned and his goal was to shoot his sisters and punish his parents. And that's why he said that to his father. Because oh. what At- a chilling thing to say to your dad, yeah. right? As you've just murdered his daughters in front of him.
0: So awful. Yeah. And then the other guy feels that his family was just caught in the crossfire. Yeah. The they only just- reason his
1: daughter got murdered is because they happened to host Thanksgiving dinner.
0: But why would he go and murder that little girl who was off in another room?
1: They talked about him also being jealous of her, the attention she was getting.
0: Oh, because she was doing all of this performing for her nutcracker. Yep. Yeah. Everyone's been gushing all over
1: her. Dirt bag. Yeah. Total dirt bag. Get over yourself, Paul. Yeah. But he was used to that spotlight, right? He had that spotlight. He had it all. He was all that in a bag of chips growing up. And then something switched. Things declined. Yeah. He started losing his hair. He got overweight. He downward spiraled. OCD. Depression. Yeah. So he had a lot of resentment. And so this will explain a little bit what you just brought up here about Michaela. Jim also said that he didn't think Paul had planned to kill his daughter, Michaela, but felt like he maybe became jealous of her when she received so much attention that evening by everyone. He said, quote, God packed a lot of sweetness into that little body. She's our life. I don't know how we're going to recover. He tried to snuff out the light. He came into a baby's room. He saw her innocence and walked in and purposefully killed her. Wow. Jim also talked about how difficult it was to go home after being in the hospital. Yeah, to an empty house. That would have been awful. He went into his daughter's room and found a novel she had been writing about a squirrel, causing him to weep as he read it. This was mere days before her seventh birthday. Jim was quoted calling Paul a monster, and I can get behind that. Yeah. Another surviving family member describes seeing Paul that night as having an, quote, evil, haunting look on his
0: face. His face would have been etched in the guests' minds forever.
1: Yeah. And they talk about how it just totally changed. His demeanor completely changed. He was unrecognizable. Like, he did turn into a monster.
0: That does make you think about like your countenance changes depending on how you're reacting or how you're Oh absolutely. What you're taking into it. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So his countenance totally changed. Totally changed. Yeah, it just it took over. Quite literally turned into a monster.
0: Would have been terrifying. I'm actually glad the little girl was asleep.
1: When I read that she had little Tinkerbell pajamas on, I just couldn't.
0: Like, that is so sad. It is sad. sad. And
1: you were Tinkerbell. (laughs) I was Tinkerbell. (laughs) Hey, I play a really good Tinkerbell, (laughs) if anyone's (laughs)
0: wondering. She makes a mess with those sparkles. That's right. I leave glitter everywhere I go. Like, what's that quote about leaving a sparkle everywhere you go? I'll show Melissa
1: this, but my screensaver on my phone quite literally says, gratitude is the glitter for your soul. How perfect is that for today's case? We're talking about Thanksgiving and being grateful and glitter. So gratitude is the glitter for your soul. There you go. So remember when I told you at the beginning of today's case that there was a fascinating reason why I chose the Paul marriage story? Yes. It wasn't Tinkerbell. It wasn't Tinkerbell. (laughs) But I do think that this might be a good time to pause for a second to take you down a rabbit hole with me. And then when we emerge from this rabbit hole, we will continue with Paul's story and what happens when he goes on the run. Ooh. (laughs) Okay. So this is a total little detour rabbit hole that I went down and I want to take you guys with me. So don't forget what we've already talked about. We're going to return to it. Oh, you're asking a lot. (laughs) So have you ever wondered if murder could run in the family? No. Oh, I totally have. (laughs) I've actually like tried to research this and see because I thought, is that something that
0: you can inherit? So does it go back to that nature versus nurture? And if it's nature, then it would run in families, right? Right. Who else in his family was a murderer? Well, crazily enough,
1: this instance was not the first time that this family had experienced a
0: familicide.
1: What? Hence, one of the reasons I chose to cover this case. Once I found this out, I was like, hold the phone. Wait a minute, because I've been looking for a case like this. And so when I found out that this was the second time this happened in the same family. In the same family direct family.
0: So, okay. Who, who was it? So are you ready
1: to go down this rabbit hole? Okay. So Paul was the second member in his family lineage to commit such a heinous act. A year before Paul was born in 1973, Paul's aunt. So his father's sister would be the first to murder her family and female family annihilators are super Super rare, rare. super rare to have a female do that.
0: So his dad's sister.
1: Yeah. So Paul. How Paul, did his dad Mar- or so, so Michael, marriage, yeah. Paul's father, his sister, right before Paul was born, the year before, killed and murdered her family, oh, and then years family. later, his son killed his daughters and wow. family members. That's crazy, Isn't that wild? and how sad for that dad. Yeah, and I couldn't say it because I didn't want to ruin the surprise. Yeah. But maybe this is why that was a quick thought to his mom too. You know, so this was something that maybe they talked about. They knew about it was part of their family history, what had
0: happened. Well, they had experienced it before. Yeah. They had some experience with it. And so it wouldn't have been such a far stretch where... No, this was you, his sister. His yeah. sister
1: had done this to her family.
0: Where you and I sitting on the couch, that wouldn't be the first thing that pops into our head. Right. Well, maybe now that we've been doing very motives, it would yeah, be. Now
1: it will. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, it wouldn't necessarily be the first thing that we think about. And maybe that explains why his dad would become upset if there was family discord.
1: Yeah. And why don't mention that to dad? Because yeah. that would be a sensitive topic. And partly the reason, too, why Paul would know that this would punish his parents because he's doing it again. Yeah. He's not doing it again, but it's happening again to his father and their family. Oh, that is awful. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you about this. Okay.
0: Two murders. Two, a murders. two for
1: two for the price of one. And this one is a female family annihilator, which is super rare. So you're getting okay. a little bonus story inside our story today. It's my Thanksgiving gift to you all. <laughs> what a gift. But hey, it's all I have to give. <laughs> <laughs> So Salwa Edna Marriage was born in Brooklyn to Syrian parents on November 7th, 1929. She was an extremely talented mezzo-soprano opera singer. Like, extremely talented. She was well-known in the symphonic and operatic circles in greater Miami and had even been offered jobs in several different countries. She, too, had the whole world in front of her and a future of great promise. So they had
0: similar backgrounds then of this, like super talented super talented hers was in the
1: arts his was in sports her family at this time too was very affluent and well off they're going to good schools they're having all the positive opportunities in front of them yeah she sang with jewish congregations and worked with the opera guild of greater miami the miami beach symphony as well as other musical organizations she had performed in such plays as carmen and madame butterfly I tried really hard to find some type of video or audio clip of her singing, but sadly was unsuccessful. If anybody finds that, will you put a link to that on our Facebook page? Oh, that would be awesome. Underneath this case, because I would love to hear her voice. Yeah. Yeah. She was offered so many principal parts in other countries, so she must have been pretty remarkable. Salwa would marry a pilot named James Abrams. They had two children together, 14-year-old Jack and 10-year-old Melissa Ann. They lived in an upper class area of Miami and their children both attended the prestigious Horizon School for Gifted Children. Salwa gave up her promising career as an opera singer to become a wife and mother. After 19 years of marriage, Salwa's pilot husband decided to leave her for a flight attendant. So this is the first family dirtbag. And this is her motivating factor. And if you think about what she gave up, it was her choice. She wanted to be a wife and mother, but she gave up this fabulous life that could have been. And then he's leaving her 19 years later for a flight attendant who's probably half her age.
0: And usually that is like a main motivator for family annihilators is that the actual family structure is threatened.
1: Yeah. It's in the top four.
0: Yeah. It's in the top four reasons.
1: So he moved out of the family home and moved in with his new girlfriend. They just set up house right away. Sala wanted to reconcile, but that wasn't in the cards. It was reported that she suffered from severe mood swings, but also chose not to take her medications that were prescribed to her for this. She had told authorities that she still loved her husband and that, quote, my children and I need him as the head of our family. Their last divorce hearing was on July 14th, 1973. After the hearing, Salwa invited her now ex-husband into the family home to talk. Oh no. Their two children and family dog were waiting in the car. Once inside, Salwa took James into the master bedroom that they once shared and shot him four times in the chest with her 38 caliber revolver.
0: Absolute rage.
1: Yeah. Next, Salwa brought her 14-year-old son Jack into the house and shot him repeatedly oh. until the gun was empty. <gasps> After murdering her once husband and teenage son, she led her 10-year-old daughter Melissa Ann to a different room in the house and shot her too. Instead of shooting herself after she had annihilated her entire family, Salo decided to take a handful of pills. The pills she took were barbiturates, a drug that acts as a central nervous system depressant and is noted as having overdose potential. Salo was taken to the South Miami Hospital where she laid in a coma for five days before finally dying herself. The dog was recovered from the car with the radio still playing. Although it is rare for a woman to kill her entire family, one of the most common reasons to trigger such an event is a divorce or division of the family, like you had said. So do you think that the inclination to murder can legitimately be part of your family history?
0: Uh, I don't think that it is, but definitely mental health runs in families. Yeah, I just thought this was so fascinating.
1: Once I heard this, I was like, yep, this is the case that I'm going to give you guys for Thanksgiving.
0: It's bad enough to... Murder somebody that you don't know, but how do you murder your own children? I know. Or any child, but your own children who you've put like time and effort and yeah. But
1: that's what the family annihilators believe, that they're all better off dead than being apart.
0: Is that what Paul believed? That his sisters were better off dead? Is that his reasoning?
1: No, I think he was wanting revenge. He was just angry at the world. He wanted to hurt his parents and was jealous of his sisters. So get rid of them. So there you go. Detour complete. So now we can get back to Paul's case, who was, was nephew. Dig out of the rabbit hole. That's right. We've come back out of the rabbit <laughs> hole. We're on flat ground. <laughs> Let's continue and find out what happens with Paul.
0: So he's taken off in his car now.
1: Yep. So after Paul viciously had open fired on his family and walked out of his cousin's home in Jupiter, Florida, he calmly walked to his car and drove away. Paul drove to the Edgewater Lodge in Florida Keys and rented a room under the alias John Baca. He gave them a fake number and paid for a two-week stay in cash. Paul would use the car cover that he had purchased to try and conceal his car while he parked at the motel. He also switched out the license plate.
0: Oh, so this is all premeditated. Oh, totally. Yeah, no question that this wasn't premeditated. He had a plan already in place. Yeah,
1: and pretty smart, like a car cover and changing the license plate. And that wouldn't draw attention either. No,
0: paying in cash and doing all those things.
1: On November 28th, a warrant was officially issued for Paul's arrest. When local police were unable to track Paul down, they called in the assistance of the FBI. At first, authorities had assumed Paul would have left the state. Police were able to find security footage of Paul purchasing the guns and scope for his planned murders prior to the attack. U.S. Deputy Marshal Barry Golden was certain that Paul didn't go far. At this point, he had been avoiding police for almost five weeks. Golden said, quote, because of the way he is, we didn't think he would travel far. He's been
0: spoon-fed by his parents for his whole life. Oh, so he was just kind of working on a hunch that because he was a spoiled rich kid, he wasn't going to go far? Yeah, he didn't do
1: anything without mom and dad's help. Oh, Okay. Paul had taken 12000 from his parents' bank account, but
0: that money would only last so long
1: and Paul was never able to hold on a job, so he wouldn't even know how to make more.
0: And 12000 really isn't a lot if you're going on the run.
1: It's not. It's not no. going to last you a long time. And that's why he's thinking he's not going to go far.
0: Well, and maybe that just kind of highlights how much money sense he lacked, right? If he thought oh, yeah. 12000 was going to take him anywhere.
1: Yeah, he had no idea. Police didn't think any of his extended family would be helping him hide, since he was estranged from most of them and because of his horrific actions. By January, police were still unable to locate Paul.
0: He actually stays hidden then for quite some time. I'm yeah, five impressed.
1: Weeks, yeah. The TV show America's Most Wanted, do you remember that oh, show? Yes. They got involved in this one. They decided to feature Paul marriage, offering a $100,000 reward to anyone giving information that would lead to his arrest. They released information describing his car as well as photos of him and told the public that he was armed and dangerous. Because of how heinous his murders were and because he had fled afterwards, Paul was considered one of the nation's most wanted criminals. Crazy. The owners of the Edgewater Lodge, where Paul was staying, happened to see this episode of America's Most Wanted and realized that one of their guests could be Paul Marriage. Can you imagine having that realization no. as to the owners of this motel?
0: What a great show, though. I love yeah. that
1: show. That should come back. Is it still on? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a long so. time. But that used to be one that we would definitely watch all yeah. the time.
0: Um oh they're rebooting it. What? Mm-hmm. You
1: heard it here first listeners.
0: Does Fox have a date? reboots? America's Most Wanted with Elizabeth Vargas. Does it have a date when it's well, going to reboot? I can't read that fast. I got skip oh. to the end. <laughs> you know those little things that take you back to your childhood? America's <laughs> Most Wanted is one of those things. That's what we did as children. Everybody and that's why is... we're now making true crime podcasts. <laughs> March 15th, 2021. So it's already out. Oh, it's already out. That's, uh, can you tell neither one of us I have cable? Yeah, we don't. <laughs> I don't have any
1: TV stations. <sighs> but doesn't mean I don't watch TV. I'm not a weirdo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just watch it all online (laughs) okay so after seeing paul on america's most wanted the owners of the edgewater lodge where paul was staying called the authorities and told them that they thought the guy they were looking for was in their motel they said he stayed in his room and only came out to wash his clothes on january 2nd 2010 authorities go to the motel and first evacuate it before breaking down the door to paul's room Paul had barricaded himself into the room. So when police entered, he jumped up from where he was sitting while using his laptop and he ran to the bathroom. When police got near him, Paul shouted, Don't shoot me. And I just felt like the nerve. Yeah. After you just shot all those people, the first thing you're going to say to the police is don't Don't shoot shoot me." me. Yeah. Dirtbag. Paul was tased three times before finally being arrested. Police found things in the motel room that he could use to commit suicide a cord tied into a noose, three small helium tanks, a plastic hood, and a rubber hose, along with a book about how to commit suicide called Final Exit, The Practicalities, which I was actually kind of even surprised to hear that there would be a book about how to commit suicide in the first place. Yeah, that is surprising. How does that get approved? Some printing press is printing that. Some company has decided that that's okay. That's crazy. They also found a stash of food, allergy medicine, and pain relievers suggesting he was planning to live and was taking care of himself. This caused people to speculate if he had been planning to end his life or not. Upon arrest and inspection of the motel room, police found two handguns, a Kmart receipt for a mask, helium kids, duct tape, paddle leash, and tie-downs. They also found five cell phones. He was using these phones to make it appear like he had accomplices, but the numbers on the call logs were to people who Paul had never met. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. But he was going quite elaborate to try and make it seem like it wasn't just his fault. But
0: he was the only one at the crime scene. Yeah. And
1: he left witnesses. Definitely. But who knows what he was planning? He was quite elaborate, right? Oh, yeah. And the motel owners were awarded that promised $100,000 when Paul was arrested. So America's Most Wanted does pay out. Paul had been following the news regarding his manhunt, and so he had completely shaved his head in hopes to disguise himself. Because remember, this was a lot in the news. It was highly publicized. Paul was taken to the Palm Beach County Jail. America's Most Wanted was at the scene when he was arrested, and Paul said to the cameras, quote, "'18 years I've been tormented. I've had chronic medical problems. It's been a nightmare.'" I didn't even know what I was doing. It was the only thing I could do. I went several times to turn myself in. I was waiting for my parents to maybe make a statement and tell me to turn myself in. I didn't what? know what to, yeah, I didn't know what to do. And today, right now, watching on TV, my cousin, I didn't know. I've been wanting, I know what to do. I just can't believe I've done all this. I just can't believe it. Yeah, we can't believe it either, Paul. No, no. So that one officer was right on the money because he said he's been spoon fed. He's not going to know what to do. And he's saying that.
0: Right. My parents didn't come
1: on the TV. He sees his cousin all the time because Jim is being so highly publicized and interviewed. And he was waiting for his parents to say, Paul, turn yourself in.
0: So I have a hard time believing that that statement wasn't made by somebody along the way of saying, turn yourself in.
1: I'm sure the police did. Maybe Jim did, but his parents didn't.
0: And this is going to sound probably really not compassionate at all, but it bothers me that if he recognizes that he has a mental health condition, then he should be taking his meds. Oh, definitely.
1: Yeah. And it was the only thing I could do. It's not. It's not. He He could have taken his meds. Anyone who's doing this is not thinking clearly.
0: Yeah. And so if you recognize that you have a mental health condition, you should be taking your meds. Like somebody with diabetes wouldn't be like, oh, poor me, I'm dying because my insulin is non-existent when he has insulin sitting on the counter. That's at home. right. Yeah. like And wanting people to feel sorry for him and allowing people to blame things on his diabetes. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Because that's why the meds are there. Yeah. But I think a lot of times too, with the mental health problems, you
1: take your meds, you feel good. So you go off your meds. And you don't think that you need them anymore. Yeah. yeah. And, and that can a, be a vicious cycle. That's
0: right. But that's something completely different. It this is. is a guy that's refusing to take meds. It's true.
1: Paul later told the police, quote, it's impossible, you know, to reconcile what happened with me. It's just, it's not even real. I'm not violent. I've never been violent. I'm not a criminal or drug addict. It's just unbelievable what I've done to everybody.
0: So these are statements he's making while he got arrested or are these statements from afterwards?
1: The one to America's Most Wanted was while he was being arrested. And this one was later on. He told the police this.
0: But is that after they've got him on medication? I'm not sure. Actually, Yeah.
1: Yeah. He was reportedly worried about how long of an ordeal the aftermath was going to take for him. He kept asking an officer what the worst case scenario was. Would it take a year or two? And then what?
0: And then what what?
1: He just wanted to know what was going to happen to him. Like, how long is this going to take? What's going to happen?
0: Uh, and, you're going to prison for life, buddy. Yeah.
1: On the phone to his father, Paul expressed his hopes to be sent to a hospital instead of a prison, and it was noted that his parents had cut him off financially at this
0: point and were not paying for his legal fees. Yeah, no kidding. Interestingly, it goes back to the unconditional love thing again that we were talking about last week. Yeah, which is so hard.
1: No. Don't believe I'd be paying their legal fees either.
0: No, not after he murdered his siblings.
1: After murdering anyone, like cold-heartedly doing that? And little Michaela, six years old, sleeping in her bed? No, I wouldn't be either. Dirtbag. Yeah. Paul pled not guilty to all four counts of first-degree murder for Carla, Lisa, Ramond, and Michaela, and three counts of attempted murder for Clifford, Antoine, and Patrick. Prosecutors wanted to seek the death penalty. Michaela's father, Jim Sitton, was all for Paul getting sentenced to death. Jim was quoted saying, quote, If there's anyone who deserves the death penalty, it is someone who would execute my six-year-old daughter while she is in bed. In Florida, a majority is needed of the jury, and then the judge makes the final decision regarding a death penalty sentence. Paul's defense wanted to use insanity as a defense, but because Paul had planned out his murder so detailed, it would be really hard to prove innocence by reason
0: of insanity. Because he was so methodical in planning everything.
1: Criminal profilers felt that Paul's behavior was more like a sociopath than that of an insane person because he knew exactly what he was doing was wrong.
0: Who called it? I you said did. sociopath. But you call everyone a sociopath.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you did call it. They also said, quote, his escape indicated he appreciated the wrongfulness of what he was doing. He did it and then fled.
0: Well, And his whole confession when America's Most Wanted showed up when he was arrested saying, oh, I knew I had to turn myself in. I was just waiting for mommy and daddy to tell me to do it. Right. He knew it was wrong. Yeah, he
1: wasn't insane. No. Other mental health issues, yes, but not insanity. Yeah. He knew. Because usually when that does happen, if it's something insane, the people are still sitting there. That's right. When the cops show up, they don't have that forethought to flee. No. Another profiler felt that Paul had experienced remorse over his actions. They said, quote, when they sit down in the darkest room at the darkest point of night and look into their soul, it's really hard to justify killing a child. When you kill significant others in your life, it is an act you eventually have to admit to yourself is so horrific that soon you have to hold yourself accountable. Perhaps Paul did just this when he ultimately decided to accept a plea deal three months before his trial was scheduled to begin. And I'm just grateful that his family didn't have to endure a trial.
0: Oh, that would have been awful. Mm -hmm.
1: In the plea deal, Paul would get sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole or appeals in exchange for taking the death penalty off the table. But the family would have to agree to this. Jim Sitton was against this plea deal. He wanted to see Paul put to death. So this is Michaela's father. Yeah. He carried with him to court a cutting of Michaela's hair and begged the judge to sentence Paul to death. He was quoted saying, quote, we were not prepared to accept this today. This is a last minute deal that's being ramrodded down our throats. He was angry. The judge himself had been struck with tragedy when his pregnant wife had been shot and killed years prior to this and tried to give Jim words of advice and comfort. Jim conceded that the other prisoners would provide him with more justice because they know what to do with baby killers. This would be so hard as a parent to deal with. But oh he finally was like, goodness. fine, let the other prisoners deal with him. But that was the way that Jim was able to accept it, knowing oh. that he would get what was coming to him. Jim's wife and Paul's cousin, Muriel, was quoted saying, quote, This killer you see in the courtroom today is not the man that was in our home that night. He was a cold blooded killer without remorse, without mercy, who just gunned down our family members and would have killed more of us had we not escaped out of the house. Lisa's mm-hmm. husband agreed to the plea deal after he awoke from his coma. He just wanted to move on and not have to deal with all the parole hearings and appeals for the next 20 years. So Paul was sentenced at age 35 and taken to Palm Beach County Jail to live out his seven life sentences as punishment without the possibility of parole. Wow. So I have just a little update here. The Sittons filed a civil suit against Paul's parents, claiming that they were negligent for not telling the Sittons <gasps> that Paul was planning to attend their dinner uninvited and that they had a bad feeling about him coming over and didn't stop him.
0: You would feel so guilty being that mom oh, yeah, if yeah, you had that, that premonition thought, and then... It
1: but, but she was suffering never, enough. They yes. lost their daughters
0: too. Who would have that forethought and know? Or have that fleeting thought and then actually be able to think it through and think that rationally that, yeah, this is a possibility. So I should tell everybody.
1: Right. We all have, you know, morbid thoughts sometimes. And So they were sued
0: by they their had, family members. Yep,
1: yeah, By their niece and her husband. Who had lost their daughter, right? They were the ones hosting. And so they filed the civil suit. And the marriage's son-in-law also filed a similar suit <gasps> against his wife's parents for allowing their son to kill his wife and unborn child. What? So I feel like they're just hurting and lashing out, right? What
0: happened with the lawsuits?
1: Both suits were denied by oh. the judge. And then this is kind of crazy. I heard rumors that the marriages filed a countersuit against the Sittons, but was unable to find concrete evidence of that. So I hope that's not true. But basically because they had allowed him in their home. Like, if you're going to sue us, we're going to sue you back. Oh, my goodness.
0: That is just so crazy to me. Isn't it? Tragedy upon tragedy, and then we're going to sue you. Yeah, and then
1: we'll sue you back. And so Paul's actions just destroyed so many of his family's relationships.
0: That's so crazy. Yeah. I honestly don't understand.
1: But I feel like they're hurting. They're lashing out. They want someone to pay. You know, you just want someone to blame. So you're Jim just going didn't after get anybody. the death penalty that he wanted for Paul. So
0: let's go to this.
1: And if you did find out that the mom was, her thought was, "Is he going to come and kill us
0: all?" And I don't know. When you're grieving, losing a little child like that, yeah, it would have been interesting to read the transcripts to see, like, how did that come out? Like, who did she admit that to, and how did she know that her daughter had the same feeling? The mom lived. Yeah, no, I know. But like, who did she tell that oh, she had know. that premonition did, to? Did, and she told that she did. Yeah. And the one daughter, the one sister had that same thought. Don't yeah. and let's not tell dad about it. Yeah. So was she responsible then too for her own death? if that was the lawsuit that the son-in-law was putting against those parents and his wife had the same premonition, then by default to me that would mean that she was responsible for her own death because she didn't That's act upon on it.
1: Good point. And I just feel like none of them are responsible. No. Honestly. Absolutely Honestly, Paul not. is responsible. Yeah. I just feel like things like this we can't really judge because we've not lived through something horrific like that, how people will react. Yeah. But people always react differently when tragedy and death and this type of thing happens. You'd hope that you would act with compassion though. Or that it would bring the family closer together and not rip them apart but in this case it sounds like it ripped them apart unfortunately. So Paul's actions just continued to destroy his family oh, and all their relationships. So the Sittons still live in the same house that the massacre occurred in and Muriel gave birth to another baby girl. They said they feel closer to Michaela by staying in the house where they had the most good memories with her. Little Michaela's room has been left untouched. The dress she was performing for everyone in that frightful night before changing into her PJs still lays hung behind the bedroom door. Their alarm clock is Michaela's voice telling them to wake up. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. I couldn't do that. The Sittens did start a dance and music foundation in Michaela's name that includes an annual concert. And this is just so heartbreaking. And like I said, everyone copes in different ways, but I don't know how you just pick up and move on. No, that's so sad. Especially such a violent and tragic death like
0: this. Yeah. I don't think I could stay in the house. But if
1: that brought them comfort, then... Yeah. And I'm going to leave you on this note here. After being incarcerated, Paul called his father collect from prison to beg for forgiveness. He said, quote, I think about them. I think about heaven, you know. I think about them constantly. I don't know how I could have done what I have done to everybody everybody I've hurt. His father reply was, quote, we have nothing. You have nothing. It's a total nightmare. Our lives have changed forever. And that is the cruel and senseless case of the Thanksgiving Day family annihilator, Paul Marriage Dirtbag, who destroyed so many lives. Wow. So many lives.
0: Mhm. What a dirtbag.
1: Wild case with his aunt and all of that.
0: Yeah. Makes you want to go hang out with your family now, though, doesn't it? Right. With all that being said,
1: happy Thanksgiving everyone. Enjoy your feast wherever you
0: are <laughs> or whenever you have it. And if you have a premonition, yeah, somebody listen might to be coming.
1: it. Always listen. Always listen to those gut instincts to those promptings and premonitions oh wow so crazy and don't invite your estranged cousin over if you haven't seen him in 13 years don't let him in
0: <laughs> i'm gonna say let him in <laughs> the
1: chances of him
0: being a murderer are probably slim <laughs> okay
1: i'll stop being so judgmental <laughs> check everyone a car though maybe I, yeah. check everything
0: <laughs> everyone is invited at the table <laughs> that's true okay Aww. So again, we're grateful for you guys listening and we hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. And wherever you are, wherever you celebrate or however you celebrate, enjoy your families. Have a good week. Bye.
1: I'm supposed to talk. Uh, Melissa, when we're doing a podcast, you actually have to speak. We Pineapple. should start a Buried Motives campaign. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the crusade to get rid of dirt bangs. That's Criminal, Criminal justice, justice reform. reform. You heard it here first. <laughs> Gonna be a takedown. <laughs> Didn't even record. <laughs> Flying by the seat of our pants here. Did... Is it like winking for you?
0: Yeah, totally. It, it involves facial muscles <laughs> <laughs> that I just clearly don't have control over. I'll just keep making stupid comments. Scratch that one too.
1: <laughs> you were playing right into it. I know, but obviously it. I
0: did not understand. Cause when you just said that, I was like, oh, <laughs> you just said, oh. That's why I keep you around. <laughs> Paul's sister, Carla Mirage.
1: Mirage. It's marriage. Oh my gosh. Jim also talked about how huh. <laughs> how hard. I knew that that's where you <laughs> went. <laughs> We're super mature over here at Buried <laughs> we <own> motives. <laughs> Dang you? <laughs> I'm changing the word. <laughs> Paul had been following the news, regarding, recording. <laughs> recording? Recording? This just in. Recording the manhunt. I know what they do in the shower, too. Baby killers. Yeah. So I'm Paul's attached. actions just kept. Just kept. <laughs> His family went down the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> His family went down the toilet. <laughs>